So Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am amazed that you were so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. For am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I wonder if you have ever been told by someone that you're not a real Christian, that you're not really saved because of something you believed or something that you did or didn't do. And I don't just mean by someone from another religion, but uh, another Christian. When I was flying home uh, from missionary service overseas, I've told that story before, I uh, had had the good fortune of sitting next to another returning missionary. This guy had been ministering in Italy and uh, we flew out of Italy to to come home. But uh, I had the misfortune of this guy being uh, quite an extreme Pentecostal. And he told me that I wasn't actually saved because I didn't speak in tongues. Now, I've spent time in Pentecostal churches. Pentecostal churches believe in tongues that uh, the, the official Uh, historic Pentecostal doctrine is that tongues are the initial evidence that you've been filled with the Spirit. Uh, But being filled with the Spirit is something separate to salvation. So Pentecostals believe that when you get Uh, When you receive Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit, you are saved. But then this uh, baptism in the Spirit is something that happens subsequently. Uh, You you speak in tongues always when you're filled with the Spirit and that it sort of supercharges your spirituality. So it's separate to salvation. But this is not what that guy was saying. That guy was saying that you had to speak in tongues as evidence of your salvation. I didn't speak in tongues at that stage. He was all set to pray for me in the airport. And uh, after a 20 hour flight, none of that happened. And and we moved on. Now, I speak in tongues now and it's really helpful, but uh, I didn't at that stage. Now, uh, this is something like what the Galatians were experiencing as well. Uh, Galatia uh, was a Roman province in what's modern day Turkey, sort of in the middle of of Turkey. And you can read about Paul's first trip to Galatia in Acts 13, uh, verse 14 to chapter 14, verse 23. That's uh, in in the notes. Uh, Look, this was a spectacular trip that Paul went on. If you read about it, um, there's miracles and signs and wonders. Uh, This is the trip where Paul and Barnabas are worshipped as gods, as um, 
Zeus and uh, Mercury or whoever, and, and then the Jews come and they're stoned once the, the crowd decides they're not actually gods. Um, and many people come to face, and even in the, uh, the face of strong opposition from the Jews. And so it's not surprising then that the Galatians had a very special place in the heart of Paul, and you really see his passion overflowing in this letter. It's a very dynamic letter. <coughs> Pardon me. So what's going on? Well, as we re read between the lines, there's some things that are, are really obvious, but we have to read between the lines and others. It seems that probably a group of Jewish uh, Christians had come from Jerusalem, uh, possibly claiming to have authority from the apostles in Jerusalem, but certainly they were undermining Paul's apostolic authority. Uh, and we're going to unpack that over the next couple of weeks. And they were claiming that the Gentile converts to Christianity had to be circumcised. They weren't really Christians um, until they were circumcised. And uh, in a sense, they had to become Jewish before they could become Christian. Now, that might seem outrageous to us today, and well, it really is, but you have to put it into its historical context there. At this stage, Christianity was still considered a Jewish sect. It was, it was a branch of Judaism, and so the Jewish Jesus followers were still trying to figure everything out. And so here's the immediate context. This isn't so long after Jesus is gone, maybe 20 years, if that. Uh, and so Jesus was a Jew. He was a Torah observant Jew. The apostles were Torah observant Jews. Um, and so it followed that to be a genuine Jesus follower, Gentiles should be Torah observant as well. And of course, that meant circumcision. Paul took this opposition to him and his message uh, very personally, and his indignation is immediately evident. In verse 6, he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, let that sink in a little bit. Paul's saying that in listening to these interlopers, regardless of how genuine they were, the Galatians weren't just rejecting Paul. They weren't just rejecting the gospel even, although they were doing both those things, but they were rejecting God himself. Think about that. So what these so-called Judaizers, uh, as they, they're known, were offering was not just an alternative explanation or interpretation of the gospel or an alternative Christian tradition. It was another gospel, a different gospel altogether. The Galatians were essentially committing spiritual treason in listening and starting to follow these people. And so uh, Paul says that even if he or an angel from God himself should come and preach a different gospel than the one that they taught them, a curse be on them. Really heavy language. And Paul's going to identify this gospel a little later. And of course, we'll go into more depth as we go through Galatians. Um, but these opening verses signal two very important purposes 
for this letter, two themes in this letter that we, we need to understand and have in the background as we read the rest of the letter. And the first is that Paul defends uh, his apostolic authority. So apparently these people had come from Jerusalem and they're accusing Paul of not being a genuine apostle. Now, of course, Paul isn't there at this stage. Remember, Paul has come and gone. He's back in Antioch. And then these other people from Jerusalem have gone along um, and said, no, 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 Paul's got it all wrong. Look, he's not even a real apostle. I mean, the real apostles in, are in Jerusalem. Paul never even met Jesus. He lives in Antioch, not in the headquarters of Christianity. Who does he think he is? You're following the wrong guy. He's got it all wrong. But nevertheless, Paul comes back. And so obviously this word has got to him and he says, no, no, no. Look, I actually didn't get my gospel secondhand. I didn't get it from the Jerusalem apostles. I didn't get it from anyone else. I got it from God himself. And he's going to explain, and we'll see this over the next couple of weeks, what that meant and looked like. The second theme is Paul's defense of the authentic gospel. And so what is this gospel? And I think Paul summarizes it in, uh, very briefly in verse 4. He says, Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Now it's very straightforward, but also very brief. And Paul, of course, ex expands this further elsewhere in Galatians and, and Romans is a, a great summary of his gospel. Um, Paul, of course, sees Jesus as giving himself on the cross for our sins so that we can be freed from the power and the penalty of sin, that we can become part of the people of God and that we can be made right with God. And so the crux of the issue here is how do we be saved? How do we become part of the people of God. And for Jews, that had to be uh, via circumcision. Um, how do we get in on this salvation gig? And essentially, the Judaizers were saying by becoming part of the covenant through circumcision. And Paul's saying, no, no, it's through faith. So Paul says that there is only one gospel and that we're saved by that gospel when we trust in Jesus. And he says, if we have to do anything else to be saved, if we have to do anything else to come into right relationship with God, if we have to do anything else to become part of the people of God, that's actually not the gospel. It's not, not a real gospel. So say you want to go uh, to Sydney by train. Uh, you have to catch the Indian Pacific, right? So someone else might say, hey, look, there's another train uh, that goes, it's called the Australind. It's a train. It even leaves from the same train station. It might even follow some of the same track for a little while, but you're soon going to discover that it's taking you to a very different place. It might be a train, but it's not the right train. It's a different train and it's not gonna get you to Sydney. There's only one train that gets you to the gospel or gets you to salvation, and that's faith. There's only one train that is the gospel. Uh, that's the gospel of salvation by faith in Jesus. So if you want to take a different train, a different gospel train, so to speak, you wind up in a different location. Uh, 
it's a different gospel, a fake gospel, and it will not save you. I think a big part of the problem with these other gospels is that they take our eyes off Jesus. Because the gospel is all about Jesus. When I have to do something to come to Jesus rather than just trusting in Jesus, then I focus on that thing. And I start to ask, well, am I doing it right? Am I doing it good enough? Am I doing enough of this thing? Uh, whether it's, it's following the law or, or, or whatever it is, uh, something else. Even, even faith itself, uh, I'll talk in a moment, can become um, a distraction in some contexts. So here's a little definition about faith that I think is really helpful uh, in, in understanding this whole thing. Faith is when we fix our eyes on Jesus and we look to him and we move towards him. How do we get saved ultimately? We fix our eyes on Jesus. I love stories of when people open up a gospel and start reading about Jesus and they're fixated on him. They're just like, who is this man? It's, it, it, it's amazing. When you're experiencing doubts, what do we do? We say, fix your eyes on Jesus. Are you feeling pressure to compromise your faith? Fix your eyes on Jesus. This is ultimately the best, the most simple solution. It's so easy to distort the gospel as, as these Judaizers were doing in Galatia by adding bits uh, until one day we discover we're not even on the same train, that we believe something that's different. And usually these additions do come from a genuine desire to be faithful to God and they might even be biblical. So I'm not questioning people's motives or uh, their genuineness, but, but none of that matters. We, we have to come to God the way he says. Unfortunately, he makes it really simple for us to do that. But what are some of the other gospels that we have today? Because they're out there, uh, you know, from most of us, I doubt we're going to come across someone who's saying you have to be circumcised. I don't even know what that does for women. But, um, you know, it's like the missionary said, who said, I have to speak in tongues to be saved. And uh, we've probably all heard, heard stories way back when, I think they're less common now, but where people have faked speaking in tongues. D does that count? I kind of doubt it. It's not in the spirit of the thing. Now look, speaking in tongues is actually biblical. And so these things, these other gospels are often biblical. What the uh, Judaizers were bringing to Galatia was biblical. But that doesn't necessarily mean it makes us any more Christian. Uh, in, in regard to the missionary I was talking to, if I read Galatians right, I think actually Paul would say he's probably not a Christian. He's preaching another gospel. Why? Because it's not about trusting in Jesus. It's about this performance I have to do. It's actually more akin to the ancient uh, heresy of Gnosticism, which said you have to have secret knowledge, special knowledge or a special experience. Um, in order to be saved. Kind of interesting what these things come around. What other different Gospels are out there? Well, maybe you've come across people who say you have to follow certain days, have to meet on the Sabbath, or you have to follow the Jewish holidays or something like that, or, uh, or you have to refrain from eating certain foods 
Paul says elsewhere uh, that the gospel makes these things irrelevant. If you want to meet on the Sabbath, that's fine. Um, if, if you want to follow a certain diet, that's fine. But Paul says it's actually irrelevant as far as the gospel's concerned. Um, do what you want as long as, you know, his concern was that we're not falling into idolatry, uh, eating with people, uh, meet with people at the pagan temples. And he says, it'll do all that. Just don't demand others conform to your views. Now, in these regards, more often people won't judge your salvation for these things, but they will judge your Christian maturity. Uh, and it's skirting the edges probably of another gospel. I certainly wouldn't say um, they're not saved as long as they understand that it's Jesus that saves them, not following these other things. But I think there are a couple of more insidious teachings in the church today that probably are different gospels. And one is a very transactional gospel. Uh, it's what I give and get from God. So uh, if I give my tithes and offerings, then God will bless me. Uh, if I have enough faith, and it, it, it's about the the faith that I somehow managed to generate. I've never quite understood it, but then I'll get that healing or that breakthrough I want. If I say the prayer's right, then God will listen. I actually had a, a Christian who was very influential, and I thank God for him in my life, but he had this prayer that he, he said every day, uh, a prayer for protection, and he said, one day my brother didn't say that prayer and he got broken into that day, and I'm like... Well, that's really interesting. I never say that prayer and I've never been broken into. So I don't know what, what you do with that. But anyway, you might know this is the prosperity gospel. Uh, and I think uh, what this can do is actually leave us with a terrible burden. Because if I don't get that breakthrough, what does that say about my faith? Um, if, if I'm not financially blessed, do I have to tithe more? Um, you know, do... Uh, while the preacher's wearing $1,000 sneakers. I do not wear $1,000 sneakers, by the way, but I hear that there's an Instagram account that follows preachers' sneakers that are expensive. Anyway, stuff. The problem isn't that the prosperity gospel teaches another path to salvation, because it's teaching salvation by faith. I think it's that it redefines salvation altogether. What is it we're getting saved from and to. See, Jesus said, blessed are the poor. And in, in Luke, he, he, he says it that way. We're more familiar with Matthew's version where, where Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. But in, in Luke, he just says, blessed are the poor and woe to the rich. And the pos prosperity doctrine really reverses that. Uh, the rich are blessed. If you're poor, it's because you don't have enough faith or, or, or whatever it is. Something like early Jews uh, thought as well. And it can almost border on witchcraft because I'm manipulating God. If I do these things, then God has to, to respond. And that's how witchcraft works. So it can be really insidious. It's not just a simple faith, a trust in Jesus, a coming into relationship with him. In a funny kind of way, there is uh, another kind of gospel that's almost at the opposite end of that and uh, probably uh, a bit more acceptable in some circles. But 
I think can also be quite insidious and it's what's sometimes called the social gospel. Now, I want to be clear that the, so, the gospel does have social ramifications. And we're going to see this at the end of Galatians, that when I come into relationship with God, it's going to upend my world. My relationships with other people are going to change. My relationships with his world is going to change. One of the things on God's heart is justice. And if I'm in relationship with God, then I have to uh, think about issues of justice. Just as if I'm in relationship with God, look, he is going to bless me. That's part of the deal. But that's not the focus. And it's not through my effort. And I think this is a problem with the social gospel um, is that, you know, it says God loves the world. So I have to love the world. But very often that that love and that change and that transformation we're seeking isn't through the power of the gospel. It's not through the power of God. It's through my own effort. And we can get guilted into it. Just as a prosperity gospel can leave us guilty for not matching up, so can the social gospel. And I think the problem with the social gospel in its extreme forms is that very often it actually almost denies the problem of human sin. And so the human condition, what we need is better programs. We need uh, better uh, psychological support and emotional support and all these sorts of things. But the human condition is that I am sinful, I am corrupt, and the only thing that can save me is Jesus. And the Spirit comes in, the Spirit of God comes in and transforms me. And this is how we're going to see social transformation as well, is when the Spirit of God comes in and works, as, as the gospel takes hold in people's hearts as they look to Jesus and trust in him. And so both these things take our eyes off Jesus and make it about human effort. If Jesus isn't the solution, then what we're presenting isn't the gospel. And that's not to say other things aren't bad. You know, I I go to the doctor. I don't know if my doctor's a Christian or not. Uh, We look to other things, but you know, I I make no claim to that being the gospel or being Christian or something like that. So if it's not Jesus-centered, it's not the gospel. It's not to say we shouldn't do it, but let's just not confuse categories. Now, there is a way to live in the kingdom. Paul unwraps this later in in the letter to the Galatians. Uh, It's not a life of lawlessness, as some critics might say, about Christianity. It's a lifestyle, but it flows out of relationship with Jesus. It flows out of the gospel. It begins and ends with him. And the problem at Galatia was they were making the gospel about what they had to do to come into relationship with God rather than what God has done in Christ. So whether it's insisting on certain spiritual experiences or certain practices or subtly shifting the focus of salvation away from Christ into creating a better world or whatever that might mean for you, these are different gospels. But the gospel, the true gospel, is a gospel of life and grace and peace from God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, and as we'll see, by the Spirit. And 
So the simple question for us in the midst of all that today then is, is Jesus the center of our religion? Is he the center of our life? Because that's the way of salvation and that's the way of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have made it so simple for us. Father, that simply by trusting in Jesus, we become part of your family, we enter your kingdom. Lord, and you do the work of transformation in us. Father, I pray that this will be a living reality in the way we relate to you, what we expect from you. Father, also in the way we relate to the world and those around us. And Father, may we just really be able to relax into this relationship. In Jesus' name, amen.